the first Sunday in Advent, and we kicked it off with uh, just talking about the gift of God, which is eternal life, right? There's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but shall have eternal life, right? That's the gift of God, and that gift begins now in this new life that God has given us uh, through Jesus Christ, and that's the gift that's appropriate for all people, right? For God so loved the whole world. It's the gift that God gave to all of us if we receive him and accept it and live into that new life now. You know, the thing that I think is so special about new life in Jesus Christ is that it is that gift that begins now, right? Jesus said, I've come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. And he's challenging us to live into new life now. And then that new life continues into um, the life that is to come. Either after Jesus returns or, or after death. Um, and we go to be with the Lord in, in perfection. You know, that's a, you know, it's a thought that I wrestled with and thought about, not wrestled with, right? Um, maybe I contemplated, thought about a lot this week is what it means um, that it only gets better from here and that to be with the Lord is better than anything we could ever imagine, right? And, and God sent Jesus Christ to accomplish that for us. But this morning, what I want you to see is not just that Jesus has come so that we could have eternal life, this gift from God, but, but there were some that rejected that, right? There were some that rejected it. And so I want us to begin this morning just looking at this scripture that we're in for this entire Christmas season in John chapter 1. And we'll see that some people rejected it, and we'll see uh, why some people rejected it. Let's just read John chapter 1, verse uh, 1. And I'm going to read, I think, through verse 11. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing has been made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through Him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this valuable scripture for our lives. God, that you've allowed these words to be handed down from generation to generation, to be preserved from generation to generation, so that we might have word from you about um, your plan for creation and how we might, as your creation, live more fully into the life that is life indeed. God, I pray that as we study these scriptures, that you will open them for us, that you will illuminate them, that you will give us understanding, that you will help us to understand particular points of application in our own lives so that we might live more fully into the holiness, the righteousness, the godliness that you're calling us to. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 
Now, as I think back over Christmas's past, I always um, think about how odd it is, and maybe this is more as an adult, right? How odd it is, um, the whole gift-giving thing. Because as a kid, we would, um, we would always make these lists. I kind of talked about that a little bit last week, right? The catalogs would come, Toys R Us, JCPenney's, right? And we'd make these long lists of gifts that we would desire, and we would, we would give them to our parents so that they could give them to Santa Claus. And uh, so we would do this whole thing, right? And, and, um, it, and we had this ideal of these were the things that we, um, that we, that we desired. And people would, you know, you go through that list and we had certain things that we expected what to get. But as an adult, when gift giving comes, right, it, it's like, um, there's these, uh, kind of unexpected gifts, right? And so I was thinking about this week, these, um, these gifts that someone gave me that I didn't expect, but after the fact, I kind of found out that it was just what I needed, right? I remember there was one year that somebody gave my wife and I a food saver, right? One of those vacuum sealers, right? You can put like meat or whatever in there and you put it in this machine and it vacuum seals it so you can like either preserve it in a refrigerator or, or freezer. And I remember getting that and thinking, oh, that's cool. And it went straight in the cabinet, right? I, I didn't even open it. Over a year went by. We didn't even use this thing. And then finally one time I was just like, we need to pull that thing out and use it, right? So that at least we can say that we used it and it wasn't a wasted gift. And the thing is incredible, right? Um, we, we use it almost every week now because we like to buy, uh, fresh meat and you can, you can vacuum seal it and it stays fresh longer, right? Or you can vacuum seal it and freeze it and it looks professionally done, right? And it doesn't have that freezer taste when you take something out. The, the freezer that you just stuck in a cheap Ziploc bag because we don't pay a lot for Ziploc bags. We don't get the Ziploc brand. We get the, Target brand of Ziploc bags, right? Um, and, and don't really use specifically freezer bags. We just use whatever bag you can put it in. But this stuff keeps stuff, uh, food at least, tasting nice and fresh. And it was a gift that I never would have asked for. I never would have said, I want a food saver for Christmas, right? I never would have asked for that. But but it surprised me, right? Then there are these other gifts, right, that someone gives you um, that you never would have asked for and you wish that they never would have given them to you. I remember somebody gave us um, some pillowcases that were absolutely hideous. I mean, I was afraid to sleep on these pillowcases. I just knew that if I laid my head down on them and went to sleep, I was going to have nightmares. These things might attack me in my sleep. Um, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And we never once uh, use them. It, it was that gift. That's why I like gift cards, right? Um, uh, it was that gift that you never would have asked for, never would have expected. And, and the reality is you never should have ever, ever, ever received it. Um, yeah, really. Um, and, and that's kind of the oddness of gifts, right? That especially when they come and you're not asking for it and, and don't know exactly what it is. When we read the Bible in John chapter one, we see that Jesus was the gift that no one, um, no one was asking for, no one was expecting, right? That Jesus was the gift that no one was asking for, and, and no one was even expecting. Now, now, um, 
They were asking for a gift, but Jesus wasn't the gift they, they were looking for. Now, when we read the Old Testament and even into the beginning of the New Testament, one of the things that we see in the Bible is that God was, um, from the beginning, he had this plan, especially for us in retrospect, as we look back, we can see that God had this unfolding plan that didn't just um, um, begin with Mary's pregnancy, right? It's this unfolding plan that began um, from the beginning of time. And so God knew it wasn't like, um, cause this is sometimes the way, the way, at least I used to read the Bible until this became like a light bulb. It wasn't like God was like trying these, uh, different tactics and methods to save his people, right? And it was like, oh, that didn't work, right? Scratch that, right? Oh, that didn't work. Scratch that. But no, all of scripture from beginning of time was all um, headed towards what God was doing in Jesus Christ. And so we have these scriptures that now in retrospect, we look at them and we see that God was preparing his people, um, preparing the way, right? Paving the way for Jesus to come and give to the whole world the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, right? But um, but the people didn't quite get these scriptures, right? Even though there was these great promises, there's this wonderful scripture in Isaiah chapter 16, that I want to read um, for you this morning. Listen to this. This is um, Isaiah chapter 9. That, uh, 16 was the one I was going to read and change just this morning. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is a, a Christmas scripture, right? For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That was a central scripture in the understanding of God's people, the Jews, from a long time before the birth of Jesus ever came about, right? And so they had these scriptures, these great promises from God that on David's throne, which David was the king of, uh, of uh, 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 you know, they refer to Jesus as the king of kings now, but in that time he was the king of kings, right? He was the ruler. He was the greatest king that Israel had ever known. He was a man's man. He was tough, but yet he was a man after God's own heart. Israel all looked up to him. He initiated the building of the temple. He turned the faces of the people to the Lord. Israelite and their nation prospered under the reign of David. He was the kind of king the people desired and they looked for. And God made this great promise to the Israelites that I'm going to sing another, send another king, right? Just like David, but greater than him. And he will reign on David's throne. He will be of the family line and lineage of David. And he's coming, right? And there's these scriptures like this in Isaiah chapter 9 where it says he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. And the people began to form these uh, kind of uh, mental uh, frameworks or at least a theology of what God is going to do in our world through another man that he's going to send in the family line and lineage of David. And he's going to establish this, this rule and this throne on earth. And all of people are going to know that he is the king of kings. And so there were these great promises and prophecies about what God was going to do through this man that he was going to send. Messiah is what they called him, right? God's chosen one. And so there's this theology, if you will, that was forming 
in the Old Testament among the Jews, the Israelite people. Right? And, and it was saying that God is going to send this one, and we're waiting for that. There was this anticipation of that. There was this looking forward to it. And there was this sense of holding on for it, right? They're holding on and hope that that day will one day arrive when the one that God has promised, right? This one who's going to be born, this son who's going to be given, this one whom the government's going to be on his shoulders, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, right? Who wouldn't desire that? And we see these people are waiting for it. And it says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. They had this hope in God that God was doing something and that he was going to accomplish it um, uh, within their lifetime. They were hoping and waiting for Jesus. But Jesus, when he comes, wasn't the kind of leader that the people were expecting, right? When their uh, theology formed from this scripture, when their idea of what God would actually do, and, and when they're reading this scripture, when that idea of what God would do and what this one that God would send would be like, right? Well, what they did was they, they um, in a sense, they miscalculated, right? They, they, you could even say, in retrospect, although I don't want to be down on them, you could even say they did poor theology, right? They read the scripture out of their own need and desire of what God would do. And what they did was they interpreted the Bible um, to make God into what they felt like they needed, right? And so they were looking for this leader because in the first century, here's the state of of the um, Jewish people, right? They were under the, um, not so much oppressive, but they were yet under the rule of the Roman Empire where their identity, right? When the the Jewish people had this, um, this history and identity of being um, this great nation, uh, you know, all the way back from the, the reign of David, right? This great nation with this strong identity as God's people that God opened up all these doors uh, for. And now they had been, that identity at least was somewhat being consumed by the Roman Empire in, in their behavior, in their uh, ways of doing life, right? Were being dictated by the Roman Empire. And so they desired this king, right? Who would come and release them from being under the Roman Empire and that would ultimately rule the nation of Israel, right? And that the Israelites again would be free, right? And that they would not be under this, um, in their heads, this well, in reality, this pagan nation that was now consuming them, right? Uh, so they, they desire this kind of freedom from their current state. And so they were looking for this leader that would come in power, right? And establish his self on the throne of David and that the Israelite nation would become mighty and powerful and strong again. And so they were looking for a leader like David, a man's man and a man after God's own heart. But yet when we get into John and the gospel of John, it says this. And, and, and uh, as soon as people heard this, I imagine they were like, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. John chapter 1 verse, I'm going to read verse 29. But it, what we read earlier, it was talking about God sent John to testify to the light 
right, to talk about Jesus was coming, to announce his arrival. Now listen to how he did that in John chapter 1, um, verse 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? They were looking for a warrior, right? And here John comes announcing the Lamb of God, right? When you need salvation, what you desire, there's nothing like a lamb, right? You want a, a, at least use a bull or a, 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 even a goat might be better than a, a lamb, a tiger, right? The bear of God who takes away the sin. Like, I, I think that would have been better for me. A bear, the bear of God who takes away the sins of the world, something that's fierce and strong and that comes in power because that's what the people felt like they needed. They felt like they needed God to act on their behalf in the way that at least their logic and their mental framework had shaped this ideal of um, how God needed, needed to, to work in their world. It's so easy to do that. Right when we're reading the scriptures, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to say, here, God, these are my needs, right? This is my situation. And then kind of connect the dots for God and say, God, I need you because my situation is this and my needs are this. I need you to do, do this, right? And to determine, predetermine in our minds exactly how we need God to work in this world and it's easy to read that in and through the scriptures. And this is exactly what the Israelites were doing, right? They knew what they needed God to do. And so their theology was shaped and formed in such a way that what they were waiting for and expecting God to do was, um, was exactly what they wanted God to do. Now, you know, if you've walked with the Lord any amount of time, you know that what God actually does and what actually plays out in your life is often different than what you feel that you need and the way you expect God to work. But at the same time, I think I can say, now you know that if you trust the Lord through it, Right, And you allow your faith to be strengthened in the midst of it. Right, When, when things get tough, when God doesn't do what you feel like he should, when you're, um, when you're overwhelmed by the question, why this? Why now? Why me? Uh, why does my life have to look like this? Why am I going through this? Right? If you trust the Lord and your faith is strengthened through that, if you've walked with the Lord a while, now you know, right, that you can look back in retrospect and say that it was the Lord's will so that, right, people might come to know him. It is the Lord's will so that he might be glorified in and through me. It is the Lord's will so that I can point to the very fact that the temporary, this uh, temporal, temporary world, right, this time here on earth that is, um, that is, that is very short, that, that this moment of suffering isn't worth, as Paul says in Romans, right, worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed. And so I count it a privilege, um, even to suffer for the Lord, to go through for the Lord, for, to not get my perceived needs met for the Lord, because God was up to something even bigger and grander than I could ever imagine. You know, and the scriptures are telling us over and over again to hold on to that promise because God is up to something. But the Israelites weren't able to see it. And I, I don't, 
I mean, I'm at this weird place because I don't want to be like mean to them and kick them while they're down, but I want to say, let's not make that same mistake, right? Um, Because in their day, it was easy for them to make because their needs were great. But now we can stand and in retrospect, we can say, the Lord is good and that he's up to something. And our perceived need doesn't always dictate the way God will work in our lives. You see, and because their perceived need dictated the way they expected God to work, they missed God when it mattered most. They missed God when it mattered most. And so this morning, I want us to see um, three ways that I I think we can uh, avoid missing God when it matters most and see reasons why we miss God when it matters most. The first thing, um, reason why we miss God when it matters most sometimes um, is because we recreate God in our own image, right? We recreate God in our own image. The scriptures are given to us so that we might come to an understanding of who God is, but oftentimes we make God out to be who we need him to be. In fact, somebody once said to me, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say, right? You can twist and turn scriptures. You can pull them out of context. You can hold on to this one and not that one. You can read only the ones that talk about um, God's goodness and blessings through material uh, things and um, things that make us feel good and ignore the, the fact that, um, that the scripture says, uh, Jesus even says in John, right, in this world, you're going to have trouble, right? We can ignore scriptures like that if we want want, right? But what we're doing is we're recreating God to be in our image, the God that we desire or want and not the God that exists in reality. And when we do this, we often end up doing and falling into the same mistake of the Israelites. And that's when we recreate God in our own image. We say, hey, if I was God, (laughs) if, if I was God, right, this is what I would do. And we live as though God is doing what we would do, right? And what we're doing when we're doing that is is we're making ourselves out to be our own gods. And I don't know about you. And maybe it's a moment of honesty and introspection. But I wouldn't trust a God that's like me. (laughs) And I wouldn't want to put my hope and trust in that kind of God. And so when we read the scriptures, when we study the Bible, one of the most difficult tasks that we must do is to remove ourselves. This is terribly difficult, by the way. Uh, Did I say that? It is hard hard to do, right? Because our needs, our desires, our wishes are always before us. But we have to remove ourselves and to the best of our ability, we have to try to hear the scripture as it was intended to be heard, right? To be, to hear the scripture as God was speaking it to his people so that we can get a clear understanding of who God is, right? And not who we want God to be. And then in faith and trust and belief, we allow God to be God in our lives. And we trust and we hold on to the things in the scripture that are true. 
right? That there's nothing too powerful for God. There's nothing too great for God. That God is enough, even in the midst of this. God is enough, even in times of storm. God is enough, even as a parent that doesn't know what to do um, with this child, for this child, even with this parent that's running up against uh, challenges and, 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 and heartbreak and different kinds of pain, right? That God is enough for that, right? And not make God out to be. Because here's the thing. Right? We can recreate God in our own image, and that God can soothe us. But that God can never save us. Right? That God can make us feel good in the moment. Right? That God can maybe take away some pain and some weeping right now. Right? That God may give you a sense of hope and confidence right now, but ultimately that hope and confidence in a God that's recreated in our image will be crushed, right? That pain um, in a God that's recreated in our image ultimately will come back. But our God, right, the God of Scripture, right, the God who created us in His image says, I will take away your pain. That God says, take courage because I've overcome this world. That God has already proven that He's victorious victorious over um, this world, the grave, death itself. That God is the only one that's alive from the dead and can tell the story, right? It's only that God that can say, I'm the resurrection and the life. I can take dead situations and make them alive again, right? That is the God we want to trust, not the God that we recreate in our own Image. So the first thing I think that we can do in order not to miss God when it matters most, most is not to recreate God in our own image. The second thing I think we can do um, not to miss God when it matters most uh, is we can um, press into God um, instead of pulling away from God. Uh, we can press into God instead of pulling away. I see this happen over and over again, as human beings, we're wired to avoid discomfort, right? We, don't, we just don't like uncomfortable situations. And oftentimes, when we're going through a difficult time in life, here's what we do, right? We go to work, um, we, we kind of drag ourselves out the bed, and we force ourselves to go to work because, after all, we got to keep the lights on, we got we to eat, we need to pay our car, car note um, so we can, we can drive, we got to do these certain things, um, but when it comes in to, to gathering with the Lord's people, right, when it comes to gathering and being a part of the church, we often pull back, right? When it comes to the thing that's not going to keep the lights on, we, we, we uh, cocoon ourselves. We separate ourselves from people. We don't drag ourselves out of bed. We don't press into the word of the Lord, right? We only do, um, we only do what we have to do. And what the scriptures are saying, especially John here at the very beginning where he talks about Jesus being the light of all mankind, right? The darkness was in this world, but the darkness couldn't overcome the light. What John is showing us is that when darkness descends, right, in our lives, that is, we press into the Lord even more, right? We don't pull back in those moments when darkness descends, but we say, if, if, if my faith was good enough when all I could see was light, when, when all I, when I can't can't see any light, right? When darkness has now descended, I'm pressing into the Lord even more because I believe that he is the light of all mankind. 
And so I think my challenge uh, to you is, um, and, and maybe you can look back and see in your own life and, and see in your own history, maybe there was a time that you went through a dark moment in your life and Sunday morning came and you said, I just, I just, I just don't feel like getting up this morning. I don't feel like doing it. Think back to getting up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when you had to go to work, right? And then commit yourself to going to work for the Lord because the Lord is working for you. You see, that's the reality is that when times of difficulty come, when hardship is here, we press into the Lord even more. That's what characterizes the people of God is not that they avoid the storm, right? Um, when the, I think about the disciples uh, in the boat, there's that, that wonderful story of the disciples who are in, in, in the boat and the storm comes up upon the sea, right? Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, the Bible doesn't really say I could be just totally reading something into the story that's not really supposed to be there. Um, um, they didn't, uh, they, of course, they didn't have Glenn Burns or anybody to tell them the weather forecast. Um, but, but I'm sure there were maybe some dark clouds there and they knew it may be a storm coming, but they needed to get to the other side. And so they got into the boat anyway, right? Um, and, and it was the Lord in the midst of the storm, right? That gave them peace beyond their understanding. It's the Lord who's able to say to the storm, peace be still. And somehow I think that that story is true and relevant to us and that that's what characterizes the Christian life, right? It is not that in and of ourselves we now discover some strength that now resides within us so that in the midst of the storm we can, we can, um, we can have this new confidence or this new strength, but it's that in the midst of the storm there's a peace that characterizes our life because we know that the God we serve is able to say right now, Right here, peace be still. Yeah. Maybe we need to hear God saying to that to us right now. Peace be still. You know what that means? I think if you were reading maybe a different translation that was putting in everyday words for us today, he's saying, I am in control. And I can handle it. I am in control. And I can handle it. You know, the Christmas story reminds us that God is in control. And that he can handle it. So instead of pulling back from the Lord, we press into him. Because he's good enough. He is enough. He can handle it. Third thing I want you to see. so that we don't miss God when it matters most. One of the things that we do um, that causes us to do that is we continue to believe logic or allow our logic to cause us to continue to believe a lie. We allow our logic to cause us to continue to believe a lie. Yeah, when logic convinces us to believe a lie. We see this um, throughout Jesus' life as the Gospel of John unfolds, and maybe you go back, maybe this, this Christmas season is marked by reading this whole Gospel, because it's just, it's fantastic. Um, it's a fantastic Gospel. Um, it's actually my favorite of the four Gospels in the Bible. Fourth book in the New Testament. And it's organized around these signs, what John calls signs. The first one you may be familiar with, right? It's the one where Jesus turns water into wine. 
And then after that, there's another sign. And then after that, there's another sign. Depending on who you're talking to, there's seven or eight signs. Um, But the seventh sign, I believe, is the one where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And these signs are evidences or proofs that Jesus is the Lord, right? That he's doing things that isn't humanly possible. And so they're pointing to both the control of Jesus Christ in this world and his ability to exercise that control over um, sometimes natural everyday things like wine, right? And then also exercise control over the impossible Things like death, right? The raising of Lazarus from the dead. And what Jesus was doing in each and every one of these signs was he was doing things that weren't logically possible. And so, um, so there was no way that you could, you could go, oh yeah, Jesus did that. I can do that too, right? Nobody, when Jesus turned water into wine, nobody was going, oh yeah, Jesus did that. I can do that too. That was nothing special, right? That just takes a little bit of education, right? Nobody was doing that. Right? Nobody was like, I can learn that skill too. Right? Nobody was doing that because they weren't logically possible. Now, before Jesus, right, their logic taught them that that was impossible to be done. Right? Now, you can continue in that lie, right, that that's impossible for God if you want. But after you've seen the signs that point to the possibility of it, right, you have a decision to make. You have the decision to either say, well, I was wrong, right? I said the water couldn't be wine. I was wrong. Or I said the dead couldn't be raised. Well, well, I was wrong, right? You either can do that or you can continue in the lie and allow your logic to say, that was a slip of the hand, right? He had the wine hidden back there, right? Lazarus was never really dead. They were just trying to fool me, right? And what we see in the first century was the people who were surrounding Jesus, many of the Jews at least, continued, chose to continue in their lie because they would not give up of their logic, right? They were saying, this is impossible. My brain tells me so. My mind, my best reasoning and thinking tells me that this is impossible for, for anyone to do. And so I'm just not going to believe it. And they pressed into the lie more than they did into the reality of who God is and what God was doing. In John chapter, um, chapter 11, uh, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, I want you to see how these people continue to press into these lies instead of turning to the Lord and saying, and saying, you are Lord and God and King and confessing him as their Lord. Look at, uh, where am I reading? John 11 verse 45. It says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, and this is after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But then verse 46, but some of the, that means that some of them turned from the lie that that was impossible and they believed, right? Um, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done, right? They knew what he had done and they were reporting him. <laughs> then the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here this man is performing many signs, right? These signs that point to the reality that he is the son of God, the one they've been waiting for, God's gift to the world. 
Then they said in verse 47, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So their logic was that if we continue to hold on to this little bit that we have, right, um, that if we continue to hold on to that, that's logic for them, right? We continue to hold on to that. It'll be better for us than we trust Jesus with everything, all right, so even though these signs are pointing to his reality, they're going to come and take away our temple, right, and our nation. So we're going to, we're going to reject Jesus. Um, verse 49, then one of them named uh, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And so we see their reasoning here. Right? It's better for us to get rid of this one man because our logic says that on our own, if we hold on to our nation, right? if we hold on to what we have, if I, if I hold on um, to my finances, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving it to God, I'm not sharing it with Him. If I hold on and be stingy with the things I have, my house is not a hospitable place. My car is not someone. I'm I'm holding on to the things I have, the material possessions and the things I have. If I just hold on to those, my life will be better for me than if I give it all up for Jesus. And they allow that logic to convince them to continue in a lie. And we do the same thing sometimes today. But what the story, the gospel of John is teaching us through the birth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is worth us giving it all up for so that we can receive the gift of God that is better than anything that we could ever have in this world. You see, John's gospel is powerful for us. And I appreciate this story more than anything because it's told so that in retrospect, we can see the mistakes. We can see the error of the ways of people in Jesus' day. And we can choose a different path. That's a gift from God as well. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you have given us many gifts from you. God, we thank you for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that that is a gift that is freely given as an act of grace to all who believe. God, I pray that you will help us to overcome the hurdles to belief and that we will choose to place our hope, our faith, our trust in you, God, that we won't allow our logic to convince us to continue in the lies that we've been telling ourselves that it's impossible for you to do that that it's impossible for you to save. But God, please help us to believe that within you there's all power to save. So when darkness descends, God, I pray that our go-to will become in our lives to press into you, not to pull back, not to hide back, not to distance ourselves from you and your church, but to press into you, your church, our city groups, our friends who believe in you, God, that help us to press into that so that your light might shine in the midst of our dark situations. And God, I pray that you will help us to read Scripture genuinely and authentically, to hear what it says, 
to hear who you are and not make you what we want you to be. God, I just thank you so much for this time that we have together, for this season of looking back to the birth of Jesus. God, in it, may we be transformed. May we look back to the newness of life that is within us through Jesus Christ. And may your light shine even brighter through us. In your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, this, um, you know, we talk a lot about this light of Jesus that shines uh, in us and through us. And um, yeah, maybe you're at a place in your life where you say, I, I've heard the story of Jesus, or maybe I'm hearing it for the first time, but I've never accepted him. And I don't, I don't know what that new life in Jesus Christ looks like, feels like, smells like, sounds like. I, I just don't know what it is. Um, and you want to explore that further. Listen, I want to challenge you to take that next step, right? To take the next step and speak to someone. And I, I'll be back at the next steps table um, as we sing this next song. And at the end of the service, I'll be back there. And I, I would love to talk to you about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. I would love to talk to you about what it means for God to let His light shine through you. I would love to talk to you about what it means to accept the gift of eternal life. But it, it, because it changes all your days from the day you accept it on into eternity. And it's so worth it. So worth it. So we're going to sing this song as a response to God. But if you have a decision to make, be thinking about that and take that next step.